represents a hearty soul today. And uh, I think God has gathered us together for a reason. We're going to begin a series today, and it's entitled Losing Your Religion. Now, I grew up in a culture where you were sort of graded by how religious you were. Remember the church 30, 40 years ago? If you were here every Sunday morning and you went to Sunday school and you came to church, you were pretty religious. But if you came back on Sunday night and you came to training union, you were three or four notches up. If you came back on Wednesday night, you were very, very, very religious. And if you would kind of happen into some of the other meetings throughout the week, you were so high up that you could go to heaven at any minute, right? I mean, we had these, these standards for grading how religious we were. We talked about it. Now, I want you to know that since you're here on a snow day, it's like you've come 10 Wednesday nights in a row. That's, that's a good deal. And so it may seem a little strange today that we're going to talk about losing your religion. And we're going to begin with a very well-acted video where some very important people tell you how they have lost their religion at times. You know what really makes me lose my religion? It's when certain people in our office obviously haven't taken their medicine, and they just come in all the time. Hey, you want to go to lunch? It's 1.30. I was going to ask you if we've got to go down there also to GFS and get those water bottles, and we also got to get pick that stuff up for the, uh, out there in the plant, in the, uh, you know, the ATM thing, where we get together and have the donuts and stuff. You want to go? You want to know what really makes me want to lose my religion? Yeah. Being given a video to plan, produce, film, and edit in under a week. You know what really makes me lose my religion? It's when they put the wrong words on the screen on Sunday mornings. I surrender some. I surrender some. Really? Hey, Chris! Chris! Hey! Hey, buddy! Hey, hey, hey! Hey, buddy! Hey, 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 hey! Can you turn it down to 120 you know what makes me lose my religion is when people are always telling me to turn it down. <laughs> you know what makes me lose my religion? I'm on the golf course vying against three deacons for the church championship. I'm lining up a putt on the 18th green to secure the victory that is rightfully mine. I'm looking at the hole. I'm looking at the ball. The putter is in place. My steady hand and my skill are at work, and as I draw the putter back, I get another stinking phone call from the church. Why don't you take a moment to tell the person next to you what makes you lose your religion just for a second. Go ahead and talk. You may have to holler back a few pews today. 
We live in a very, very uh, religious culture. Uh, it may seem that we don't, but uh, I have some statistics that we're going to shoot up on the screen here this morning that talk to you about uh, how many folks uh, actually claim to, to have some form of religion. In America today, 78.4% of the people, done in, in, in 2007 actually, but those statistics are even more so now, even bigger now, and 51% of those folks are Protestant. And almost everybody claims some connection to God. Almost everybody says, I believe in God, and most people will say, I really want to be a good person. Sometimes they'll even say religious person so I can get to heaven. I, I want to see heaven, believe in God, and I think my religion, how good I am, will get me there. And so we have lots of people all around us doing their very best or at least trying to do their very best, some within the confines of a church, others who never come to church, but they want to be good, they want to be in some form or fashion religious so they can see God. I want to take you back in time uh, to the ark. Remember the story, Noah built an ark, the floods came, everybody who wasn't on the ark, everything that wasn't on the ark perished. Uh, After 40 days, rains receded, ark landed, and uh, a new culture began. It took about four generations for them to completely forget what had happened. And what we read about in Genesis chapter 11 is four generations hence, and they're already trying to figure out a way to put themselves above God, to reach into the heavens, to reach to where they believe God to be. And a guy by the name of Nimrod, I love that name, Nimrod. If I ever have another child, I'm going to name him Nimrod. A guy by the name of the Nimrod kind of spearheads this effort. I want you to read with me in Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole world had one language and one speech. Four generations. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, modern-day Iraq, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and, 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 and bake them thoroughly. Brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower named for ourselves. Who were they edifying there? Who were they lifting up? A name for ourselves. And, and sometimes when you're religious, isn't it very, very important or, or very, very easy to start to feel self-important, to start to feel good about yourself. They were trying to make a name for themselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Interesting, he doesn't say 
sons of God. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And now they have one language, and this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. I think that's the beginning of men and women not being able to communicate right there, don't you? And the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. We still use that term, don't we? Anybody babble this morning? Christy Kennedy called me at 6.30 to see if we were having church, and I babbled on the phone. Because the Lord confused them in the language of the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face. You see, what was happening there is the people determined that if they were going to be who they needed to be in God, and if they were going to see God, they were going to have to find a way to climb to Him. Is that the way you think about uh, your relationship with Him? I think next uh, service I'm going to have a couple of strong men come and hold this ladder so you don't get nervous. Blake got on it last night. He must be a good five pounds less than me. (laughs) And so we do our best still, just as they did at the Tower of Babel, to try to be good enough, religious enough, to try to climb the ladder and make it to God. We want to know about Him. We want to please Him. And yet somehow or another we confuse the fact that we have to go somewhere, be something unique and special, be something different other than who He created us to be, that we have to follow a set of rules, uh, worship by a certain ritual, live in a certain way in order to climb the ladder, exactly what they attempted to do in Babel, and see the face of God, to lift ourselves up above the others. And we learn as we start to practice our religion that it is very, very, very easy. We see it all around us, and and we see it just as it was clear to God there at Babel that religion can have a dark, dark, dark side. There are over 40 wars being fought right now across the world in the name of religion. There are people killing each other in the name of religion. There is mean-spiritedness and hatefulness and spitefulness. Hate crimes being carried out in the name of religion. Religion can lead to confusion, doubt, and conflict. Religion can get you labeled. What's our label? What's it say right outside on our sign? Burlington, say it with me, Baptist Church. There are over 450, at latest count, different brands of Baptist. How many of you know our branding? What are we here? We're Southern Baptist. That could be good. 
Sometimes it is. Sometimes when I hear what Southern Baptists have done, I'm not quite as excited about it. But I'm much more excited about it than what our other Baptist brothers and sisters are doing. Remember the Westboro Road Baptist Church? Anybody ever attended there? Kenton used to sing there, I think, didn't you? Every time something happens that they don't like, here's their way of reacting. And they make the news, and it seems like when the newscasters are talking about this particular hate-filled Baptist church, that they say the word Baptist really loud. What about our fellow Baptists who've made a lot of noise lately because they believe in snake handling? If a snake breaks loose in here, I'm out of here. I want you to know that right now. There's a, there's a scripture that they take to heart. Uh, uh, I think we're going to flash that up on the screen. I have not cut that out of my Bible, but I have chosen to ignore it. I don't take that particularly, particular verse literally, but I am willing to allow our deacons to do that. But isn't it really sort of sad when you think about the extremes that people go to prove they're religious, to prove that they have something that other people don't have, to make them stand out, to make them maybe more favorable in the eyes of God. Fact is, all religion is man-made. It is a man-made attempt, something that we have devised, a, a, a set of rules and regulations and rituals that we have devised in order to reach God. In Babel, it was building a tower. What can we do to see God, reach God, please God, we'll build a tower. But in reality, it wasn't so much about pleasing God as it was about lifting self up. And over and over again, that history is repeated in, in practically every church where we follow a set of rules, we want to do things a certain way, we want to worship in a certain way, we want to follow a ritual in order, so, in order that we might be deemed worthy and religious. Many, many times we forget that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And it, it, it's not about your religion, it's about your relationship. And the only thing that transcends this world, the only thing that'll make it past the curtain of death are our relationships. What we feed into one another, what we draw from our connection with God. And if we are literally connected with Jesus through faith, if we have a belief in Him, and, and, and if He's at the center of our focus, then that connection will make us far better than any religion ever could. See, it's never really about what you do. It's about what He's done. It's never really about 
your actions and your behavior and how faithful and how orthodox you've been. It's about loving Him and others in His name. Even Webster got it right. Religion, as defined by him, was this, the outward act or form by which men indicate their recognition of the existence of a God. The outward act. See, religion is always outward. Relationships are inward. What you have what you feel, what you experience internally in your heart, in your center of emotions, what causes you to be connected to God, what causes you to love others, what causes you to be genuine and authentic in your faith, because you can fake religion, can't you? You can fake it. It's a heartfelt relationship with Jesus. The sad fact is that religion ends up being the opposite of what God desires. The exact opposite of what He desires. And that relationship with Jesus is exactly, precisely what He desires. And far more important than any religion. I uh, I like to contrast what happened in Genesis 11, where they devised this great strategy to reach God, where they thought, you know, we'll build this tower, we'll be religious, we'll we'll do the right things, we'll we'll find a way to build a, a, a great monument in this place that will allow us to do what no one else has ever done, we will actually ascend to heaven. We'll actually be in the presence of God. Nobody will ever forget this. Nobody will ever, ever doubt that we are the greatest nation culture that ever lived. In Genesis 11, they lifted themselves above God in an attempt to reach God. And then over in Acts chapter 2, you remember the story there. Acts chapter 2, really the beginning of the faith movement, the church movement, the Jesus movement. In Acts chapter 2, they were struggling, the disciples were, to, to know what to do next. Jesus had ascended into heaven. He had said something that they really didn't understand about him sending someone to take his place. And so they were wondering where to go next, what to do next, what was going to happen, where their faith would go, what their lives would look like. They were humbled, they were praying, they were seeking the face of God, they were missing the Savior, missing the Lord. No attempt at all to try to get to the highest mountain, no attempt at all to make themselves look better. They were just praying. 
Like a mighty rushing wind, the Spirit of God fell. You see, instead of men going up, it's always in a relationship with God, Him coming down. There's nothing in this place today that we could do to rise to the lofty heights of where God dwells. So we simply have to learn to be grateful. Not good enough. Grateful that He chooses to come to us. That when we gather like this to worship Him, that He visits us. And it's not how religious we are or how well we do anything. It's His presence that makes this place alive. It's nothing that we do or say. It is the Spirit of God that has the power to change lives. And in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost, when they finally determined or when, when, when they were, were so in the center of God's will that they just allowed His Spirit to fall. When they realized that it wasn't about them, that it was about Him. When they realized that they had no particular powers or abilities, save the Spirit of God filling them. The Bible records that everybody stopped speaking in different languages. That the curse of the Tower of Babel was reversed. That everyone could communicate and share in the joy and in the power and the presence of God in that moment. That His Holy Spirit filled them so that they were able to relate to one another in a way that they'd never been able to since that day so many years ago. That God began to bring people together and unique ways, that the church was birthed, that 5,000 people or more were saved that day, that His Spirit reigned. And God began to demonstrate His power in ways that we've not seen since. Because people realized it wasn't about them. It was about Him. So what does that say for Burlington Baptist Church in 2014? Do we need to be religious? Well, I definitely want you to show up. I definitely want you to live out your faith. And if that's what religion means to you, then yes. But you see, religion without a relationship is absolutely meaningless. What you can accomplish outside of the Spirit of God is absolutely meaningless. What you really need to pray for and yearn for is to be filled with the Spirit. To have the heart of Jesus, the wisdom of the Almighty Father. And you see, ultimately, what you hope to do by being religious, which is to impress people, which is to feel good about yourself, ultimately, that'll bring you down. 
But when you walk in the Spirit of God, when you are in love with Jesus, when it's all about Him, you become exactly who God wants you to be. Exactly. Often people ask me about rewards in heaven. Will there be any stars in my crown? Remember we used to sing that song? Yeah, I don't know. Bible seems to indicate that, uh, that uh, some of us might get a little better seat than others. I'm not sure. I'd be happy to just get in, right? But I do think if there are any rewards in heaven... It'll be for those you least expect it. Those who've been humbled. Those who have walked without a claim. Who've lived their lives completely dedicated to making God look good rather than themselves. I think those will be the people closest to the throne. And you can't get there by being religious. You get there by being redeemed. And by a relationship that marks your life, defines your life, and has a mighty impact on all those you come in contact with. I don't want people to talk about our church in these terms, how wonderful a church it is, how wonderful the people are, how wonderful their staff is, how wonderful their building is. I want people to look at our church and say, Those people love Jesus. It's a place where the Spirit of God dwells. That's what matters, guys. And if you don't feel that in your own heart and life today, you can. Just takes a change in the way you see what's important. Take surrender, and it's worth it. Pray with me. Father, we come to this moment where we respond. We have been trained, developed to think in certain terms about what we should do and shouldn't do and how religious we are and how closely we follow the rules. Fact is, God, that's never what you ask us to do. You ask us to love people as you loved us. You ask us to place our neighbors in high esteem. You 
You ask us to exhibit grace and mercy rather than condemnation. You ask us to look as much as possible like your son did when he walked on this planet. You ask us to err on the side of grace, to be forgiving. Father, there's enough places in this world where we can be hurt. There's enough places in this world where we can feel beaten down, unworthy. Let this be a place where we simply feel covered by your love, by the love of your people, accepted, forgiven, place to belong. In Jesus' name.